taken from us far too young. He was a leader of men, a champion among champions. Alas, he breathed his last breath on the delightful turf of Goodison Park. Virgil, we will miss you dearly. So welcome along to a very somber edition of Full Kit Banter. I'm joined once again by Yushin and just just to kick things off this week, um, all Liverpool fans around the world are probably like crying in agony right now as we speak because our pound-for-pound best player, Virgil van Dijk, is officially ruled out. Well, not officially, but I'm 99% sure he's ruled out for the entire season. Um, yeah, just thoughts from a, a Chelsea fan about the whole incident before we, we really get into what went down last weekend at Goodison Park. Well, Virgil van Dijk or Virgil van did his knee in? Or was it, it was an Achilles... Achilles bit, of a, bit of a stretch. <laughs> oh, uh... Okay, wait. Yeah. Um, Nitty gritty. Like, yeah, just quick thoughts yeah, I'm just about gonna, that. I'm just going to state facts. Like... Yes. Pickford shouldn't have been on the pitch after that. I was kind of shocked mm. at at how how Scott Free got away from, from that, from that uh, MMA challenge. Okay, I read uh, an article that was actually linked by my friend who tagged me on uh, Facebook. And uh, so, so the referee, right, who was officiating the VAR decisions for that game, he didn't know that Pickford could be sent off even though Van Dyke was in yeah, an I offside saw that position. As well. Yeah, I saw that as well. It kind of... I mean, we've been ranting about VAR and the VAR officiating referees all season and this is a pretty damning evidence that the referees are not good enough I mean come on that that challenge was was brutal even from a neutral point of view that shouldn't have like Pickford should have been sent off I'm gonna it's just disgusting to me that like even after the match no action has been taken against him just I, I just can't believe it the, yeah, the way I saw it, um, I'm in agreement with you, but my initial thoughts... Okay, I'm going to take you back to like what happened during the match. So the moment I saw the replay of the injury, right, I knew Van Dyke's knee was done. Just because um, I while I had never torn my ACL, I did kind of damage my, my knee a couple of years back and... Basically, when you go to a physio, they give you the whole spiel and like they, they kind of explain how everything works. And just the way, the angle at which the impact came in and yeah, just his reaction, I, I, I already feared the worst. Um, so I wasn't really too bothered about the red card. I was just, it almost seems minuscule at the time, but I completely agree with you. Um, with especially video replay, I, I just... I mean, I, I echo the sentiments of Klopp. I, I just, we, I, I don't understand a lot of the decisions that went down during that match. Great match, by the way. One of the best Merseyside derbies I've seen in years. Yeah, it kind of lived up to the hype, yeah. It definitely did live up to the hype. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of questionable decisions. And I'm not like, I'm very much in the camp of we move on, you know? There's no point 
feeling this in just because it happens to a lot of different teams. You know, we're not the only Liverpool is not the only team that gets decisions against them. Sometimes we get decisions our way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, there has to be some sort of precedence. I like the the one the one foul that's coming back to me is actually the the two fouls that are coming back to me is one of them was Aubameyang last season. I forget against who, and. They had they they looked at that challenge after multiple reviews and they came to a verdict of the correct verdict of it being a red card. Same with Basuma's super kick like earlier in the season. I mean, it was a really high boot, but I don't. F- I personally don't feel it was m- any more dangerous than the challenge Pickford committed. Um. Yeah, it's it's just we need we need we need more transparency. We need more consistency because right now I don't know if anyone knows what the heck is going on. Yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong. When Virgil, okay, because it was a scoring opportunity from what I've seen, Virgil's leg was stretched, like he was he was stretching for the ball, and therefore that made the impact much worse. Okay, but even though, okay, let, it let's was planted. Yeah, 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 yeah. even though. Like it's not about the severity of the injury, it's kind of like the intent of Pickford. I mean Pickford's a nice guy. I don't think he he intended to to injure Van Dyke. But it's just really I agree. dangerous. I don't think yeah, I don't think that was intention his intention. And as it's, well. it's not the first time that Pickford has actually done this before. I I've seen clips of him and uh doing the exact same like scissors kick cut down challenge on Delhi Ali. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that. Like there were replays of it going around. I mean, there were, there are arguments of people saying that, like you you mentioned it. Um, you know, it's the severity of the injury and that. You know, Van Dyke went in for the fifty fifty, and he unfortunately came off, much worse. And that Pickford was just doing what, most goalkeepers are taught to do. You know, spread yourself as as much as possible to, close the angle down. But he didn't spread himself. He went straight for Van Dyke's leg, like. I've always been saying that's the thing I agree with you but he's such a bad keeper and (laughs) and a good keeper right wouldn't have made a challenge like that because yeah like I said he would have spread himself out wide he wouldn't have gone in all kung fu like and gone for Van Dyke's leg yeah like I mean we're in agreement it's a terrible challenge Mm -hmm. Um, the one thing that I'm confused about is just why you have so many replays like and I think it boils down to the offside, which was the first of two questionable offside decisions. We'll get to the second one in a bit. I still think Van Dyke was marginally onside, man. Like further up the line, um, I think they're right back. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it's Coleman might have been playing him on with his leg, but mm-hmm. he was being blocked by a Liverpool player, so you can see his leg, but you can't really see like the jersey and all that, but. Yeah, man. It's just sometimes it's just. I'm just glad it's not my job. It's so tiring, man. It's, we've seen this time and time again. Um, Liverpool, the Liverpool Everton match can easily be a case study for referees in the future. You have so many. Like decisions that that really were. Super difficult to call, you know. Yeah, I kind kind of. It's kind of a damning statement about the current state of VAR now that it's not only us fans that are confused about the decisions, it's the referees officiating VAR. They are also pretty unsure about 
you know what's the right call it's like we are i know that fifa wants it to be or the fa they want it to be a pretty a black and white decisions and none of it none of none of the decisions that they want uh coming from VAR, uh they, they want it to be uh what that how do i say it i can't speak yeah they don't want it to be gray area decisions they want it to be you know clear-cut decisions but it's it's football things have to be revealed in a case-by-case basis and this decision i'm sorry it's it's the wrong one for me what about the what about the second oh, one? Def- the, yeah, that, the offside goal. That the, or the disallowed goal, sorry. I, I couldn't believe they ruled it out for offside. Like I don't know how the lines work again. I, I'm so frustrated about the lines really. It's it's just ge- online geometry lessons every weekend. But I couldn't see okay, from what I saw, Mane's butt was slightly offside, but I thought the rules were such that only active parts of the body, like the legs, the knees, and the head. Uh, it's big brain, big brain thinking, dude. Mane's like butt is attached to his like legs, <laughs> which involve him like collecting the ball. Yeah, yeah. I thought I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I thought only like active body parts can be ruled out for offside. I mean, things like your butt, your elbow. I mean, how how much can elbows influence like? A, a, a build up to football play I, I don't really understand and shouldn't the benefit of the doubt be given to the attackers in that point of play I I mean it's hard for me to, to, to look at this from non-biased perspective but I'm always in the I'm always in favour of common sense as well and it's almost like you're correcting a decision that no one thought had to be corrected in the first place but once again, like you said, we're looking for non-emotional decisions, everything to be clear-cut. But the fact is, there was nothing clear-cut about that decision. So unless you're telling me that um, Mane was like, you know, a f- like a toe offside or something that we didn't spot, maybe like on the extreme right-hand side because the attack came on the left, maybe Salah on the extreme right had straight offside and no one had noticed it earlier then that would be a good use of VAR. But ruling something out just because, like, I, I don't even know how to explain myself. Like, to the naked eye, it, it looked, on first sight, it, it looks miles on sight, not even barely on sight. It looks miles on sight. Then you bring in the lines and things become a bit more okay. But it's still not conclusive. So I feel at that point, Go as to stand, man. You look at the Everton players, no one's calling for offside. Not that this is a point of argument because the players aren't the ones who are making the decisions, but do you get where I'm coming from? It's almost like you're fixing something that wasn't kind of being debated. But then again, if if the rules were reversed and Everton scored a goal, yeah, I don't know how I'd take it. Obviously, I'd be delighted that we got away with it, but yeah it's bound it's i mean i'm I'm in the camp of a lot of misfortune happened in that game but it'll eventually come back to us in some manner so yeah things usually yeah. even out at the end right yeah and exactly. i know this is nothing to do with var but imagine if there were if fans were actually allowed back into the stadium and you know liverpool score a last minute winner and the fans go crazy 
Oh god And then yeah, they get screwed out people, For offside People would have died bro <laughs> People there would have been fights Yeah but Just to get your opinion on this Do you think VR Ruins the emotion of football To a certain extent Because You know Once Like let's say your team scores a goal And then Like you are You want to cheer But you want To actually wait for VR To confirm that It's a legit goal Yeah So yeah. you're kind so, of like at, at, at You kind of Don't know what to do With your emotions you're like, oh yeah, they scored, but I don't know, VR might read off offside, so we're just going to stay quiet. And then you're going to mm. wait for the entire like 15 to 30 seconds before the referee actually okays it or disallows it. Right. You, I, I'm I mean, sure pen, fans are going to be pissed off about this. Yeah, but I mean, it's been happening for a year already. But to answer your question, this was the first time that as a Liverpool fan, it kind of happened to me. I mean, usually we get VAR decisions ruled out, but never in this manner, you know. Last, literally last minute winner against your local rivals in a game that has been very difficult. So I, I went crazy, dude. I leapt off my couch. I was screaming at the TV. Um, and then, because, you know, after goals, they show you replays, right? Mm-hmm. Not the VAR replay, but like just like different angles of the goal. Yep. It looked, um, it looked fine to me. So I was like, okay, this is going to stand. So I was ecstatic. And even when the VAR check came up, I was pretty confident. And then when I saw the no goal and the resulting um, screenshot, I just lost my mind. I was Wait, which part so of Mane was, w- was root offside? His ass? They're saying, I, they said it was his elbow or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, this, why, why is the elbow <laughs> like considered as part of like an important part of the body part when it comes to... I mean, like, it's like I don't understand. Crouch said he'd be counted offside like all the time. Yeah, exactly. Because of his gangly I mean, limbs. Like a few weeks ago it was defenders and handballs, right? And now it's attackers and, and their hands. So I don't know I don't know what the FA wants. They're probably gonna want like footballers to play without hands. That's the only way I see it. Like it's impossible not I I mean they really have to review this uh VAR lines decision. It's getting pretty ridiculous now. I think I mean to answer your question, right? After last weekend's incident, I probably will have a think again. I probably will, in the back of my mind, subconsciously be thinking, "Oh shit, it might get ruled out." Let's let's you know, let's chill. And usually, like now, when I watch football, I never go really, I never really go crazy during like when we score or not. At least not like I used to. But definitely, you know, last minute supposed winner against Everton. You bet your ass, I lost my mind for a little bit. Um. But yeah, it's it's also embarrassing. Like it's a good thing I was watching that by myself. Cause if I watched it with friends, and I, I like, lost my shit, and then suddenly like, oops, sorry, no goal. That would probably have a bigger effect on me. Um, but to answer your question, I think the the waiting time. I'll just take it like we're waiting for a penalty to be taken. You know, you know very much like when you have a penalty. You know, it's not it's not done yet. You haven't scored yet, but you get that feeling like okay we have a very good chance to score. So I'm just going to look at VR decisions as like penalties from now on. Yeah, and just a little... It's a little thought of mine, like... If VR is influencing how we celebrate goals now, imagine how it's going to influence goals of the future. Like, let's say our, our future kids when they're watching football. And uh, they, they're not going to... like. Okay, we've been watching football before VAR, so... We kind of like it's in our blood to celebrate every goal immediately 
but when it comes to you know our kids you know and uh and you know the team that they support they and one of the players scores a goal they're not gonna celebrate immediately they're just gonna wait and say oh uh, we have to wait till VAR actually checks out everything before we send a bit ago, and I think that's pretty sad. But it's gonna be the norm for the future, I guess. I mean, yeah, like you said, do you take emotion or do you take what's right? You know, like correct decisions. You know, like black and white. And I think that's a question no one, nor the V, not not the VA, nor the FA has been able to answer. They're trying to like kind of. Americanized football in many ways because you know like the NBA the NFL um, they all kind of have this idea of of things being absolutely spot on uh, or you know correct to a T but yeah, tennis even right the, the difference is that these sports are very very high scoring so yeah two points in basketball could win or lose you the game but they come in, they, you know, you're, you have 100-plus point games. It's not like football where, you know, apart from this season where goals seem to be flying in, you know, it's it's usually like a goal that makes a difference. So, it's just, it's it's, just, it's not the same, but we have to remember that VAR is kind of in its infancy and I don't think it's, I don't think they're going to give up on it. They're going to try to refine it and fix it before ditching it completely, but... Yeah, it's been it's 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 not looking great at the moment. It's just it seems to be dominating every match week. Um, yeah, whether it's crazy scorelines or it's it's refereeing or VAR problems. Yeah, I kind of want a game week where it's controversy free that I don't have to come back and talk about VAR. I just want to talk about the air quote beautiful game, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are, are you... Okay, so before you move on, are you pro VAR? Yeah. Do you want it to stay? I still am, but... Not like this. You know? Um, yeah, it's... it's it's. I mean, it's hard to ask me. Like, I my team just got literally, like... Or not literally, but figuratively, like, fingered <laughs> by <laughs> VAR. So... I still... I really want it to work. Yeah, that's all I can say. I want it to work, but this isn't it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I but anyway, that, like uh, we've talked yeah. a lot about Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go, go yeah, ahead. What What are your thoughts on VR? It's okay. VR is not the problem. It's the implementation of VAR that's the problem. Like the the referees. Like yeah, I'm gonna just touch on this again. The referees that are you know appointed to officiate and make decisions based on what they see on the telly or using VAR they should be put under some sort of training because they yeah, are like like the reference the article that I, I mentioned earlier before if if one of them actually comes out and say that oh he's unsure about or he wasn't really sure about what the rules are in terms of offside uh, decisions called on VAR then uh, you know the FA should actually do some like they should put them on training honestly I don't know what's going on in the background but this has to be fixed as soon as possible I think it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. Not to like sound cliched, but yeah, it's only game yeah. week five. And it, 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 it really shouldn't be that complicated, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Maybe if I was in that field, I'd be able to do something. But I'm just a fan, so I'm just gonna have to deal with the bumps and the 
bumps and bruises along the way. There's going to be a whole load of bumps and bruises. Exactly. Yeah. And but just to kind of piggyback on that that Merseyside derby, I personally thought Everton showed a lot of grit. You know, they it could they could have been blown away inside the first ten minutes. Liverpool looked so dangerous. Um, Everton looked a bit odd by the occasion, but I mean credit to them. After Van Dijk got injured, they 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 composed themselves. They regrouped and ironically, they scored from a corner that probably would have been defended if Van Dijk was there. But I mean, you can't blame them for taking advantage. Um, I thought while they were second best for most of the game, I was. I mean that was their first real test and they they impressed me. They impressed me, but this is a question you posed to me earlier. Do I take them as serious title contenders and the answer would probably be no because I did have them sixth in our like still way too early prim- uh, Premier League predictions, but I give them a chance at the Champions League not per- like because they're a good side. And because they have good individual players, um, but at the same time, it's also because the teams around them are struggling. We'll get to them a bit later, but yeah, I mean, lots of pos- lots of positives for this Everton side. They actually tried to attack us, which is very admirable. Um, maybe they they did even better because the crowd wasn't there. Like you know, at like classic Everton at 2-1 down after Salah's score would have been so deflated but it's almost like because the atmosphere was muted they they almost were like okay you know what um we're going to give it we're going to give it another crack and sure enough uh Calvert-Lewin gets that goal like exactly how we called it last week um but I've said my piece what do you think about Everton and also like we want to hear about that kind of comparison with the 2000 Milan side you teased last week. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said before, the Everton of old would have just rolled over and died after Salah scored that goal. But this is what happens when you have managers like Ancelotti managing your team. It, he kind of instills a belief in you. As in, besides Sir Alex Ferguson, right? I feel that Carlo Ancelotti is and and Jose Mourinho, of course. They're one of the best man managers in Oh, we'll football. get to him. Oh, Mourinho? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just a little bit of insight. Because I've been watching football for a long time. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have as well. And yeah. I think we both remember the, what we call the Istanbul Champions League final of 2005. I would say that Ancelotti was at his managerial pick at AC Milan during the early 2000s and from what I've seen I, I mean I watched a lot of Everton this season because I've been really intrigued on what Ancelotti I mean I really like Ancelotti as a manager I have very fond memories of him at Chelsea and so when I've heard that Everton actually got appointed uh, Ancelotti as their number one uh, their, their manager for the future this kind of I, I kind of had this thought in my mind that you know I mean, I mean, as a Liverpool fan yourself, you must be, you when the club was first appointed as your manager, you have felt you know a real good sense of oh, this club is actually heading into the right direction. It showed ambition. Yeah. And yeah. 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 As in, it's it, it's kind of Everton's way of. I, I'm sure that Everton fans have always been you know the butt of the jokes, uh, when when uh, Liverpool fans have been talking about them, but it's kind of like okay, you guys have Klopp, 
but now we have Ancelotti. It's kind of like an answer to to that question because you know mm-hmm. previously they they could only say yeah we have you know Roberto Martinez, we have Ronald Koeman. They are all up and coming managers to a certain extent, but now they actually have Ancelotti, who who is you know, a proven winner. I, I think who also had a huge point to prove, yeah, you exactly. know, after being dismissed by uh, Bayern and then a rather mixed spell with Napoli. Yeah, he definitely had a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so coming back to my point, yeah, I actually wrote down a few s- stats and comparisons to the early 2000s AC Milan team when, in, when I bring in the Everton of this season into reference. Okay, because... The the one player that you think about when you think when you when you mention AC Milan is probably Ricardo Kaká. I mean that I yeah. I love him as a player. He was mm. so good. And Kaká, right? Okay. Carlo Ancelotti he played, he rocked up with a four one two one two formation, also known as the four diamond two formation in AC Milan, who kind of gave a lot of freedom to Kaká, who played this uh trickerista position. Which is in layman's terms a position where you just give him creative freedom on the pitch, you don't give him any defensive duties, so you kind of entrust the play to him. So everything goes through goes Kaka. through him. Yeah, yeah. And when you talk about it in Everton terms, James Rodriguez is that guy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't outright play in that uh camp position as Kaka. He kind of plays on the right, but he drifts inward. Because he's a he's a left footer, so he drifts in from the right, and you can see if you're gonna have James Rodriguez in your team, you can't ask him to do any defensive duties. Okay, you can maybe probably you're gonna try to minimize as many defensive duties as you want from him, because what you want from me is the attacking output. So what do you have to do? Is you have to play someone who is the water, a water carrier of the team, and for AC Milan, that was. Gattuso if you mm. remember him General Gattuso yep. of course and in Everton we have Alan yeah yeah, and they're both pretty similar in terms of stature and the way they play the game they're both really bulldogish they're fighters they win the ball and then they pass it on to more creative players and making up the second of the midfield three is the box the box midfielder for AC Milan it's Clarence Sadoff if you remember him, mm. yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, the whole Milan team was so good from the defense to the midfield to the strikers. And for Everton, was, yeah, we have a team just chock full of winners. Yeah, and for Everton, we have Abulai De Kore. I know that yeah. you kind of had your your doubts about him early in the season, but mm. and I'm sure that you know even he has proven you wrong to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he, he looks back to what I had seen of him when he first joined Watford, very powerful. Very full of running, you know, always has a... Not always, but he had the occasional goal in him. Um, yeah, good good for him, good for Everton. I had my doubts, but he, he's, he's done very well the last... Or the first five games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to make up the final spot of the midfield tree, it's, it was Ambrosini for AC Milan. Ambrosini slash Perlo, but I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna put yeah, Ambrosini in it sure. because his, when I compare him to Andre Gomez of Everton they both have really similar traits they are able to play the ball out they can link they can link a midfield with attack they have they have they're pretty good in terms of dribbling if you remember 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we can we can go to the forward line. We have Richarlison and Andrei Shevchenko of AC Milan. So I was looking at Richarlison's stats for last season. So in 38 games, he was able to do about... Uh, yeah, I know it's going to sound a bit dry, but I'm going to uh, quote some stats from last season. So Richarlison had a total of 1.84 take-ons per game for last season. And this, but for this season, it has increased to 2.56 take-ons per season. So what that means is that Ancelotti is asking him to... Uh, we know Richarlison is a great dribbler. So he, he's, a lot of onus is being put on him to get the ball from the midfield and try to drive into the penalty box. And you can see this is pretty evident in terms of Richarlison's game this season. Like, he, he really takes on a lot of defenders. He doesn't really care if... You I, know, I, I, but at the same time, I've been seeing him in the box a lot more. Like, when, even without the ball, you know, when, once James gets the ball, he's on his bike. Yep. So it's almost like he, whereas in the past he might have been lurking on the edge of the box, now he's not afraid to really, maybe not the six-yard area, but he's kind of just always sniffing around for a goal now. Mm-hmm. That, that's a little bit, because he wants to turn Richarlison into a goal scorer as well. Kind of mm. kind of like what Shevchenko was. I mean, he was extremely deadly in AC Milan, from what I remember. And oh yeah, yeah, easily like top. Top three in the world. Yeah, that was, that was why uh, Chelsea decided to buy him. But <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, moving on to <laughs> the striker, we have Dominic Calvert Lewin for Arsenal. Uh, so Arsenal, sorry for Everton. And okay, just a fun stat for you. Dominic Calvert Lewin has scored, I would like to say, six goals this season. Yeah, six goals in five games. And five out of the six goals that he scored, it has been with one touch of the football. Right. Yeah. And let me bring you back to uh, the comparison with people in Zagi of AC Milan. If you remember, yeah, there's there's this stat that I like so much about him. He has scored 89 goals for AC Milan in his career. And 85 out of 89 goals were scored with one touch. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you're going to talk about lethal finisher, people in Zagi is the yeah, epitome of yeah. it. And I can kind of see yeah. what, yeah, what, oh, sorry, what Ancelotti wants of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He just wants him to be that fox in the box. Like, he's, he's going to say to Calvert-Lewin, okay, you are my goal scorer. I don't want you anywhere outside of the box. I want you to be in and around the six-yard box so you can score tap-ins, haters, and all that. And if you're going to, if you're going to, be taught how to be a good hater of the ball. You can turn to no one. You can turn to no one other than Duncan Ferguson, who is part Big of Big Dunk. The, yeah. yeah, Duncan disorderly, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, that I mean, mo- if most if not all of those. Um, we didn't even talk about defenders, but I think that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna. Was, I'm not gonna compare the spawn. Milan's backline of 2000s to Everton's backline of <laughs> Nesta. Yeah, it's, it's just Nesta gonna it's just gonna be a disrespect. <laughs> Nesta, I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna say that Keane and Mina are equivalent to Nesta <laughs> uh, and Stem, but I'm gonna say that Pickford and Dida are similar in terms of uh, like Pickford. they are really prone to errors, but they are pretty good shot stoppers. That I must say. No, no, yeah, I really like that. Um and. I mean, Calvert-Lewin, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. He 
he's almost become that guy who it's like a one shot one kill something we didn't see before last season we saw glimpses of it once Ancelotti took over but we're really seeing whatever training's been going on you know it's coming into effect and you asked me this on the very first episode if you think Calvert-Lewin's gonna get 20 goals this season I said we were looking more at like 10 or 12 but shit he's already a quarter of the way to 20 so I mean if he keeps this up you know they always say form is temporary class is permanent we don't know if Calvert-Lewin can sustain this but he's looking really good at the moment yeah but don't forget Calvert-Lewin is still really young he's he's sort of growing into his body and he's just gonna get better his ceiling is so much higher and now with I mean, Ancelotti yeah, you can't, you can't you yeah. can't exactly you cannot go wrong with a manager like Carlo Ancelotti and Calvert-Lewin finally has a supporting cast that will give him goal scoring opportunities you know no disrespect to like Bernard and Alexi Wobi but I think what or who he's playing alongside now uh, just better quality and that stems even back to midfield yeah but now with the Richarlison red card conundrum they, he has to which play you call yeah, accurately I it. by the way <laughs> listen to the last episode guys he you should actually like very confidently predicted that Richarlison was going to get a rush of blood to the head and get sent off and lo and behold that's exactly what he did I should have placed a bet on it could have been a really yeah, rich man would have made some nice would have made some decent coin from nice that nice moolah <laughs> Palais with a crappy VR call and you are set for the month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, but any, any any final thoughts on uh, the boys in blue? Like, what are your thoughts? Do you think do you think they are serious title contenders? I just have to say that it, like, when Carlo Ancelotti was manager of Chelsea, yeah, we... I, like, we really had this attacking philosophy in us. But there was a caveat to it. Um, we couldn't seem to defend set pieces at all. And I was looking back at the goals that Everton have conceded so far. And 50% of them were dead ball situations and set pieces. So I think it's kind of an Ancelotti thing. That he doesn't really know how to set up a team defensively when it comes to you know, defending against all this type of uh, set-piece plays. So it could... They could struggle against teams that, that are... That, that their whole attacking base is based on uh, set-pieces. So it is a little something to look out for. I mean, that's... I mean, it's not easily rectifiable, but... If Ancelotti realises that's a weakness of his, just bringing some coaches, man, but... I mean, yeah, I, I think... That's a very good non-answer, by the way. But oh, I sorry, what was the question? <laughs> if they'll be serious, I oh. But I mean, I think I think I, you said it yourself. Yeah, if they're conceding these type of goals, yeah, it could probably hinder their title chances. I I mean, defending set pieces shouldn't be an issue for teams, but it's not just the recent stat. It it's going back all the way to his when he was in charge of Chelsea. Yeah, I could. I remember stupid goals that were considered because of this, like, uh, yeah, j- just just to keep a look on them. But whether they can win the title, I would say no as well. But they mm. possibly gonna be legit type uh, top four challengers this season. Yeah, I think so too. And 
part part of the reason why that's the case is because everyone else challenging for the top four is kind of like floundering or unable to find any sort of consistency, mm-hmm. which takes us to um, White Hart Lane. Where not White Hart? Sorry, not White Hart Lane. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Jesus, White Hart Lane. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like I just happened to catch the last ten minutes, and it was the best ten minutes of football I've seen in like months because. No one saw this coming. Everyone thought, okay, uh, turns out, you know, Moyes might be better off working at home because, yeah, West Ham were just A, woeful, and just Tottenham were on fire. Like, um, it was like goal after goal on my app, uh, on my goal app. Um, I wish I'd seen them play. Tell you the truth, I only kind of turned on my TV because I wanted to see Gareth Bale for the last 10 minutes. Um, but what I got instead was a disaster showcase of it was a clown fiesta from Tottenham. I mean, it was typical Spurs, right? It's just a yeah, a, yeah. Just you know, all, yeah, all the all the memes, all the memes of uh, it's just Spurs, <laughs> and that's just how quick football can change. You know, perceptions in football because at halftime, three 0 up, especially after the six one win against United, everyone was going, "Oh my god!" Like our Spurs contenders. Especially with Liverpool being crocked now, um, Chelsea had just drawn in Southampton. People were actually like, "Oh man, Spurs are the real deal," and they have Gareth Bale on the bench, and they brought him on later. But it's these kind of results that will cre- quickly like bring down the the street cred of a side like Tottenham. It reminds me a lot about Liverpool. Um, as recently as like three, four years ago, you know, beautiful going forward, but you just never have that confidence that they're going to keep a clean sheet or in this case... Glass cannons. Yeah, it's... I mean, we know what Aurier is about. For some reason, Jose is kind of slaughter Aurier back over um, uh, Dorothy. Yeah, yeah, the thing is that I don't think the fullbacks are a problem. I don't rate the centre backs at all. Oh, I I disagree. Yeah, no, th- that the centre backs are a problem, but the full backs were all over all over the place for the goals. I don't know if the first goal was a was a botch by somebody, and Cresswell was a was a beautiful delivery delivery by Cresswell, who um I think he had two assists that game. But yeah, but if you have the decent, second goal, had, which was sorry, what to cut in, but if you had yeah. decent centre backs you wouldn't have allowed Balbuena to have... Like, who if you have decent centre-backs who can command an area and, you know, actually organise a team when they when it comes to defending set-pieces, Balbuena ha- would have no chance of getting that free hit. It was a free header to me. Because, I agree. You know, no, it was a free header, but at the same time, I'm looking at my World Cup winning uh, captain, Loris. You know, he's got to do a lot better to kind of set the defence up. I think they were just asleep. Which is not an excuse, but at 3-0 up, sometimes that happens. The second goal, however, I have no idea what Davidson Sanchez was doing, who, for the most part, has been, I would say, defensively solid for th- for like Spurs. He just Perhaps another, you've seen something I haven't. He's just another Yeri Mina. Oh, I think no. Just bang out of order. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> Just because he's Colombian. <laughs> I, I was shocked. He's, I was shocked at the no, the second he's goal. Not, I, I, he's not that good. Okay, the only guy that I read for uh in Tottenham in terms of centre back is Toby Alderweireld. Alderweireld, yeah. Alderweireld, Alder, 
Toby. I'm just gonna call him Toby. Yeah. <laughs> Maguire. Yeah, I don't read Dyer. Dyer is just like a B-Tech Harry Maguire. Oh, Dyer? Nah, yeah. Dyer is... Nah. Yeah, yeah just know from me, right? Yeah. Reguillon um, is like... I guess he has not been... He's not been Mourinho'd yet. He was nowhere to be found for that second goal. Um, Sanchez has absolutely no reason to head there into his own net, but... Even at that point, I I didn't feel like West Ham were going to like steal a point, but... Okay, okay, let, let me let me bring you back to that. If that was Jerry Mina, you have been all over him. You have said, oh yeah, it's because, Jerry Mina. Because it's happened time and time again. I, I've not seen Sanchez uh, commit that many... Um, I, I think you should watch more personal of Spurs matches. Sanchez is dodgy AF. He's... he's not worth the forty-two million pounds that that was lavished on him. Yeah. Okay. Fair I, I, enough. I would. I would rather partner Dyer and Toby than Davinson and Tol than Davinson. Yeah. That that. I will. I'll definitely pay more attention. But mm-hmm. I mean, I. I think I've I've watched Spurs like quite a few times. Maybe maybe I'm just picking nice games. You know, I'm not picking games where he's being tested. But point taken. Okay, he's just uh He's just another Yeri Mina. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe I'll toss him on the front watch later. Yeah, I, dude, perfect. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, that match just kind of typified how quickly perceptions change and how you should never buy into hype. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as much as hype, Spurs had their defensive frailties, we have to talk about their attack. And oh, especially yeah. Especially the main really guy, cool. the main man of the season, Harry Kane. Son, bro. No, I, I, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Son is like the 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 poster boy, but Kane. Yeah, we all know Kane's the architect. Yeah, just okay. Kane. Yeah, when Kane first broke out, uh, on this on stage, like when he was a young child at the moment. I mean, he was he was a he he was an early bloomer from what I remember. He was already like a full grown guy at age twenty two. Oh, I remember it was his debut in Europa League Kane, where he got a hat Kane is the only good thing that came out of um, Sherwood's reign as Tottenham coach oh, Sherwood like, was literally a fraud like, he was a massive he's ultimate, fraud he's such a fraud dude he was about I think Spurs were ready to like get rid of Kane but Sherwood for some reason gave him his um, no, do, do you know why big... Sherwood gave him uh, his debut? no yeah because they had no strikers Absolutely no strikers. I mean, I, I think a few of them were injured and it was either, or it was, either I play Kane or I play, uh, was it Roberto, Solda- Roberto Soldado at that point of time? So I but Soldado must have been injured, what? He was? No, yeah, it's, it was either that or, <laughs> so, like, oh Kane God. was the only fit striker in that squad, so he had to play him. I mm. I'm kind of fuzzy with the details. He never, he never fails to, whenever Kane is like a, a cracking game, right? And Sherwood's on pundit duty. He never fails to mention that he gave him his start. Yeah, but don't forget, the the reason why Marcus Rashford had his breakthrough start it was because yeah. they had, like, during Louis van Gaal's reign was because they had no strikers at the point of time. I know, exactly. Like, I'm not saying that they are right. Maybe it was sheer dumb luck. Maybe, mm-hmm. that, maybe they actually saw something, but... Yeah, anyway, going back yeah. to Kane yeah, so being I'm the, just going to talk the about the guy. evolution of Kane. Mm. Like if you remember when Kane first broke up to the scene, 
he was this striker that you know he was so clinical he was first to every ball he was this bullish striker kind of similar to how Aguero plays with that intensity but yeah that that prayer yeah yeah but you know football players are not robots they you know there comes a point of time where injuries kind of catches up to you and this was kind of evident with Kane because you know he was seen as this the golden boy the, the Rooney of the England generation and he was being played uh, in every game he had very little rest and because Kane is such an athletic guy you know that didn't really seem to matter to him until I, it, it was I think two or three years ago at Bournemouth where he had this uh, anterior cruciate I, I don't really know the details like but he had, yeah he had this ACL injury which kind of derailed him in terms of how explosive he was before. And you kind of you can kind of see like, you know, when you have this, when athletes have this major injury, don't you talk about it in football terms, any athlete, when you have this injury, it kind of plays onto your mind that, oh, you know, when I used to dive into these one-on-one challenges with a defender, uh, you don't really think about it. But once you have this injury, it kind of, it's at the back of your mind on whether you're aggravated anymore. So, right. Kane wasn't the exact same player as he was after that injury. And it didn't really help that um, Mauricio Pochettino, which, who was manager of Spurs at that time, decided to change the way he played. So, from a striker who plays on the shoulder of defenders and who was taking a lot of shots per game, he kind of became this weird... He played as a number 9, as a striker, but he kind of dropped the ala Firmino because... I, I don't know really what happened to him. Maybe it's uh, because Spurs didn't really have a proper holding midfielder at that time. So, And Kane had to help out with the creative duty. So he became this weird 9.5. But this was after formation. Mourinho came in, right? Or no, was this, this was still before. When Poch was, when Poch was playing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so this, so I, I could see... I, I'm a very... I, okay, I don't like Spurs. But I really have... I'm really an ardent Harry Kane fan. And this kind of reflective because we both play Fantasy Premier League and he was always mm. the first guy in my team and I would trust him enough to give him the armband yep. because he was so good. He actually won me, remember, remember we had this like a bet when, when yeah, yeah, at yeah. the start and well, Kane that won was, I, I, That was when I chose Rashford, right? Yeah, something like that and Kane actually won me the bet like by, yeah, it was the end of the season and I think I finished above you by like I think points. he scored four or five Yeah, yeah, he, he was crazy and that was when yeah. I started really, you know, loving Kane as a fantasy football asset but after that ACL injury of his, he, he started changing the way he played. He became more of essentially a, a, a center defensive midfielder who ping passes to strikers like Son to latch on and you could see that that yeah, he, he was way better. He got a lot more in assists. But as a striker, he you could tell that he really lost a little bit of confidence in himself when it comes to going one-on-one against the man. He didn't really run beyond the defensive line anymore. And you could see that he didn't really... He lost quite a lot of intensity from the player that he was when he first broke out to the scene. And now... Okay, this season, Kane is a totally different animal. And one of the reasons is because I think he had... like We all know about you know the, the pandemic that has hit us this year. And footballers actually... A lot of them had uh, 
long rest, long breaks in between because of, you know, the lockdown that happened in, uh-huh. uh, was it May? It was around May, yeah. yeah. So it was about three to four yeah. months. So for the first time ever, Kane actually had a super long rest where you could just, you know, relax, not play a lot of football and everything. I think this really benefited him this season. And it, it's not just, you know, from the eye test that Kane's playing well. Like, he's actually backing it up with stats. And watching Spurs games this season, I could actually see the Kane of old. And it's not like who, who's just like, you know, running beyond defenders. He's actually an improved version yeah, exactly. is and what you're getting. It, at, yeah. It's not just the Kane of old. He's actually mixing a little bit of Kevin De Bruyne in him. Like he yeah. already has seven assists this season. And just to talk about uh, his assist stats last season, he only had like three assists last season. And he has already doubled it and it's not even been like one third of one third of the season yet. So this new version of Kane is it's just a okay, if it's if you're gonna talk about a fantasy Premier League point of view, you have to get him in. Because he's showing the numbers that he has shown when he had his breakout season and when he was ultimately the best striker in the Premier League. And what's more, he's as creative as Kevin De Bruyne now. So I don't know what Moreno has done with him, but I know Moreno is the kind of guy that he makes you feel like he's the be- you are the best player in the world, and I yeah. think Harry Kane's really benefiting from it now. So I I know I, I know I've said quite a lot about Harry Kane. So what do you think? A- another thing that he's benefited from is this almost telepathic understanding with Son. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Very few strike partnerships kind of develop this. The one that comes to mind is like Gerard Torres. You know, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they and uh, drop they almost enough, knew what each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So. I think as much as Kane's improved, he has his ability. He's able to showcase his his true potential, his true abilities because he has other intelligent and athletic players alongside him, like Son. He has a manager that knows his ultimate strengths, like Mourinho. And with Spurs, I think we're just gonna see lots of goals from them. But whether they're title challengers, which is kind of the original question we were asking about both Everton and themselves it, they have an outside shot let's let's put it this way you know they have a great manager in Jose who's been there done that but oh Jose is world class like, no matter what anyone says about him he, you, like he has a CV to back it up he's a world class manager I mean but there's pe- there are people in the camp saying you know which is for another day lah but mm-hmm. I mean I love I love I love me some more but I mean, he, t- t- he's not who he, he's not quite the same manager he was five years ago. But very few people, very few managers are. I mean, look at Arsene Wenger. Yeah, yeah, but, but still, just, still but one just of to, the greats. But yeah, yeah, but just to downplay that, like, if you're gonna have Mo as a manager, you have to back him up with the signings that he wants. For sure, and I think they have to an yeah, extent this yeah. season. They they did like a happy Mo is a Mo that you want managing your team. Like you mm. can see. Uh, I know we're going to talk about uh, United later but United didn't really back him up with the signings that he wanted after they got after he got them to second place in the seat in uh, during his time at United and you could see that he was really disgruntled like and he started to filter in into the United players but you can see now that you know after and credit to Daniel Levy he's been I know he has a reputation of being an extremely stingy chairman, but it's a he, tough bastard. Yeah. yeah, but you can see that he has really backed Mourinho in his signings. And just to bring up uh, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, 
I, I think he's one of the main reasons why Kane doesn't need to drop back into that weird midfield position again to collect the ball and spray passes because he can actually entrust this to Hoiberg now. And I think behind mm. Kane and Son, Hoiberg is the third best player currently. And you can see he's a, he's totally a mole player. He does... Yeah. You, you don't need to be flashy. You just need Got to do a bit of a ma- Matic vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of Matic vibes from him. Yeah. Yeah, so... I know, there's a really good balance. I mean, I like every part of the Spurs team at the moment and that's kind of hard for me to say because I'm a Chelsea fan, but... The only thing that may stop Spurs from mounting a serious title challenge is their defence. I also think they're kind of naive. Like, you saw it in the Newcastle game, albeit that should have never been a penalty, but they didn't kill the game off. Um, A little bit naive against Everton as well. I think they're really reliant reliant on Son. Like, because in both matches, in the Newcastle and West Ham match, Son got brought off early. And then they just capitulated. Yeah. Because for I think for more, uh, for most tactics, I think um, I I've spoken about this before, but Huming Son, he's the, he's the guy that starts the press. So, when you bring a player like Son off, like the players was like I, I'm sure Mo Mo would, like I'm sure a player like a uh, manager like Mo, he emphasizes a lot on defensive organization, but he always entrusts this. Uh, to a player who start to start the press. So if you bring the player who starts the press off early, the team will look lost in terms of uh, defensive pressing. Yeah, we got a huge clash for the top four um, spots and potentially a match with like title implications between United and Chelsea this weekend. I mean, we're gonna hear a lot from you about it. But it's kind of a big stretch on how both teams are performing right now. More in terms of Chelsea. Yeah, more uh, in terms of Chelsea. United, I think, especially with the win against PSG, I, I, I know most of my United fans aren't getting too hyped yet. They still, you know, see a lot of problems, but credit where credit where credit's due. You know, United beat last season's Champions League finalists and yeah, hopefully for their case, well, it's a, the start of an upturn. Yeah, well, as much as... You know, we give United a lot of and Ole a lot of grief on this podcast. I think we should give them credit when credit is due. When I saw the lineup, okay, I'm just gonna bring you back to the their game against Newcastle United. When I saw the lineup that Ole put up in that for that match, I thought that he was gonna be a goner. Like there were comments saying that oh has Ole mistaken this the for one a Carabao? Mata, right? <laughs> yeah, has Ole mistaken this for a Carabao Cup match? And I could see that, um, you know, United fans were already sharpening their knives. You Ole out, uh, so the the Ole outers were actually Ole you know, gonna freestyle. Yeah, they were actually you know in full voice. And imagine if United actually lost that match, with that lineup out. I mean, Ole would have been fired, and I'm sure that Ole, there was there was a lot of pressure on him to win this match. And you know, prop props to him, man. He actually. They actually won comfortably. I mean, Newcastle are a pretty bad team. So Newcastle didn't do themselves any favors yeah, in that I, match. I, let's yep, be real. Yep, yep. So you know, but you know, you got you gotta play whoever's in front of you. And hundred oh, percent, yeah. a win's a win. Yeah, yeah, a win's a win. And he he actually had the cojones to drop Pogba. I mean, Pogba hasn't been playing that well. So yeah, but 
Like, I'm sure United fans will want to see Vanderbeek in the starting eleven as soon as possible, but maybe Vanderbeek wasn't ready for for first team yet. I I don't know. I'm not the manager, but yeah. Uh, so United versus Chelsea. Could Ole? I mean, Ole has a recently good record against Frank Lampard. Could he extend it against? Could he extend it after this weekend? Yeah, I'm sure of it. But you know, being a Chelsea fan. I have to support my team even though we've been defensively shambolic <laughs> from yeah, the start of this yeah, season until yeah, now. Yeah. And yeah, like I- I'm sure you've seen the the highlights of the Chelsea versus Southampton team. And yeah, I'm sure that you know the blame most of the blame will be put on Kappa, but I don't really care when you score three uh, when you concede three goals at home. I don't care if you're the keeper or the defender. And it's almost a, yes, Everyone it's almost gets a moot blame. point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. And it's almost a moot point because Kepa's not going to start against United. Exactly. And United, I'm quite confident in saying this, United are going to score. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna you're going to be a gonna, penalty. Who are going to blame sure. then? I have to my bones that, that there's going to be a penalty I, involved. I can't believe he finally misses a spot kick and they have it retaken. <laughs> That's the most like Bruno thing ever, but right. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy he was captain for the PSG game. Yeah, uh, and I I said it before. He's a great like, quality player. Yeah, yeah. So so going back on my point about Chelsea, I feel that Kepa has been unfairly made the scapegoat whenever it comes in terms of uh, you know, whenever we concede the goal, like everyone's mm-hmm. straight on Kepa's back, but I think mm-hmm. it's sort of, I think a little bit of blame has to be placed on Lampard's shoulders as well. I mean, the team has obviously have... They, we obviously have defensive frailties. And it's there's only so much you can blame on individuals to the point that, you know, you sometimes have to wonder whether it's... whether this has actually been worked on on the training pitch. It's possibly something in Lampard's system that is causing all of this. Like, like if you remember when we... when Sari was our manager, Kappa was our number one. And he wasn't as bad as he is now so the only thing that's different possibly in something to do with the manager's philosophy and how he sets up the team I sometimes I just don't understand why it's it's almost like how Arsenal were under Emery you guys persist a lot with playing out the back even though sometimes it's painfully clear that We're that not is good, not the right? route to go forward yeah, yeah. Um, and especially with a guy like Kepa, you know, Kepa, you can tell, maybe he used to be confident playing the ball with his feet, but now he just looks like a nervous wreck. Um, the last one I remember was against Liverpool. He he just looked, and it eventually it led to a goal. So, like, yeah, like you yeah, said. But he wasn't that bad during Sari's reign. I, yeah, so the only thing that's different is the manager. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's a confidence day. thing. Maybe Lampard has from day one kind of made it clear that I don't rate you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether... I don't think he probably didn't actually say that like to his face, but it's true, you know, like... I think probably what transpired... Yeah, what, what happened in the Carabao Cup final kind of gave yeah. Lampard like kind of Great an unfair point. narrative on, on Kappa. Like, yep. yep. In his mind, he was just like, oh, I, this guy like is a done. rotten apple. Uh, like I cannot done. have him undermining me. Like, I know John Terry went on record to say that he would have yanked Kepa mm-hmm. off the field mm-hmm. and that was unacceptable. So, 
Lampard and JT are good mates. You can bet a, a decent amount that they were talking about that during the game, if not after it. Yes. I, yeah, I totally I'm, agree I'm, with I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up. That yeah. that um definitely it's not the the ultimate reason why, but it definitely play it was it definitely was a factor in in his kind of demise under Lampard. Yeah. So just to end it off, I'm not gonna come up with a prediction for this game, but I'm just gonna say <laughs> that enough. there's gonna be a lot gonna of goals. goals. Yeah. And there's they are gonna be there's gonna be a penalty involved, but possibly a decisive penalty. Mm. But I mean, think? I wouldn't be shocked. Mm-hmm. I think score wise, um, I mean, I've not been that far off recently. I think it's gonna be two two. Firstly, because I see goals coming from both sides. Like, it's no surprise that Chelsea have excellent attacking options, as do United. Um, I hope Cavani starts. I don't think he will, but I hope Cavani starts. Oh, if Cavani uh, starts... Can oh. you imagine Cavani and Thiago Silva yeah, going exactly, up against right? each other? That'll be hilarious. It's going to be an interesting watch. Yeah. Um, so just, um, yeah, so, uh, just before we end off, just a little bit on the City and Arsenal game that happened. Like, oh God, that match damn near put me to sleep, man. <laughs> actually, actually did put me to sleep. Uh, Arsenal... It was a sleeper hole of a match. Right? You're so... Okay, like I think the reason why it wasn't free-flowing was a little bit due to the fact it was uh, Guardiola against Ateta and they both didn't want to lose to each other. It's kind of like the master versus the apprentice. Yeah. But um, in the end, City's class just showed. Yeah. I mean, City tried. Arsenal weren't playing at all. Arsenal yeah, yeah. So, so this kind of brings me to what I've said about Arteta recently that, you know, okay, if Arteta's surname was Williams, <laughs> we could have said, <laughs> oh, damn. Like, you could say, oh, wh- why are Arsenal playing so defensive? Oh, is it because they employed like someone from the British house? But because Mikel Mikel's surname is Ateta, we mm. and his you know, he was the assistant coach of Guardiola. Like you know, everyone, even Arsenal, fa- like Arsenal fans and you know some neutral fans, they lord him as, oh, the next big thing, the next, uh, the Pep Guardiola two point zero. But I kind of you know kind of caught on a little bit on Ateta's tactics that he's kind of a little bit one dimensional now. He. For teams like Arsenal, they play way too defensively. I mean, just to bring out another stat. Uh, um, okay, Brighton. We know we know Brighton. They are a team that's currently they, they are they are re- one of the relegation favorites for this season. They have right. created more chances than Arsenal in the box. They have more possession than Arsenal, and they are defensively okay. I know that Brighton have considered a lot, but. Most of the goals were due to individual errors, but stats-wise, they are defensively better than Arsenal. So, what I'm trying to say that is, Ateta is kind of has been Arsenal overrated by ambition most. Ambition going forward. Yeah, and I know the the way Ateta, I mean, this could all change with Thomas Partey being introduced into the team, and which mm. this is something that uh, we may touch upon in the next pod. But we need a bit more data from him in an Arsenal yeah. shirt. Yeah, yep. exactly. I mean, this. I just thought about this. This could be a factor as to why Arteta is kind of like being quote unquote playing extremely defensively. I mean, for the last five or six years, Arsenal have kind of had 
a bit of a negative mindset in big matches, you know. They've been hammered quite a few times, more than Arsenal fans would like to remember, you know. They've had been on the receiving ends of hidings at Old Trafford, um, Etihad, Anfield, Stamford Bridge. So, it's almost like Arteta's trying to just purge this kind of mindset in the club that, hey, it's okay to get battered, you know. We're Arsenal, we get battered on occasion. Arteta's probably just like, no. Um, if we're going to lose, we're going to lose to the better side, but we're not going to get trashed by anybody. And to be fair... Ever since yeah, his I mean, tenure, I, I, he's I, yeah. not lost a big scoreline. Yeah, but just to say that, yeah, it's it's okay to play. I mean, I understand when when teams play a little bit more defensive against the big teams, but he's been playing the same formation in every game in in the Fulham game, in the Sheffield United game, in the West Ham game. This kind of shows a lack of trust in in his defenders. Uh, what, what do you think? Like. I mean, if if you play teams like <laughs> with that, the defenders he has, I don't blame him. <laughs> but you have to remember, Arteta is also a new coach. You know, he's gonna, he's not gonna tinker like yeah, right but off the Arsenal bat. Fans he's gonna are, find out. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, that Arsenal fans are placing him like very highly in the pedestal, way above Ole and Lampard. When it's clear to see that all three of them are inexperienced. Tactical wise, I know all three are different levels right now. But to say that. Arteta is heads and shoulders above Lampard and Ole. It's just, it's just, it's just not. I a- think. Accurate. I I think okay. Like firstly, I'm not really sure you're being entirely fair to all Arsenal fans. I know that there are a majority who are all drinking. They are all drinking their Arteta Kool Aid. I get it. But a, a big factor has to do with the FA Cup win. I mean, call it what you want, but. No one gave Arsenal a shot in hell of winning the FA Cup and they did. And a lot of it was down to Arteta and even more was down to Obama. Arteta is just a park the, the bus merchant. If it was exactly. Yeah, like and I said, if he was if his surname was Williams, we could have just said that, oh, he's just a typical Yeah, he, he's just a guy who lays a back five and just does on the counter, but it's because he's called Arteta. And that's why neutral fans and Arsenal fans are calling him a tactical genius. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just laying out the facts. No, but that's... Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think a lot of them are drinking the Arteta Kool-Aid, which is why I still place them fifth. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to come unstuck eventually. To an extent, it's still early in the season and Arteta like, kind of got hired right before COVID. So in a way, he got an extended honeymoon period. He's not made any huge signings apart from Thomas Party and to an extent Gabriel but it's almost like if Partey's a, a, lot, a lot of what Arteta is going to be judged on is how well his signings does like a lot of the team now is still very like Wenger Unai you know it's not Arteta's yet yeah and I think by Christmas people could either be drinking even more of the Arteta Kool-Aid if let's say he's like comfortably in the top four or if he's performing above expectations, you know, maybe they get a big win against a rival like Chelsea or United. But the fans will start to turn on him if their performances are very boring, very negative, and they're not getting results. Right now, they're still kind of getting results. So... I guess fans would be more lenient in, in the type of football they are playing. Well, wasn't Unai Emery getting results last season while playing a similar type they, of football? And t- 
to be fair, everyone, you remember when Arsenal went on that like 18 match unbeaten run or something? Yeah, yeah. Arsenal fans, yeah, they, 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 they were saying it. Unai is the king. Yeah. And to be fair, Unai was very much lauded by the Arsenal fan base yeah, but until the, the they defend- bottled the Champions League spots mm-hmm. and they lost to you guys in the Europa League final. That's kind of when the turning point changed. But before that, they were all up in the... They were all aboard the Unai train. Mm-hmm, fair enough. Anyway, you, yeah. I know that you mentioned Arteta signing, so just going to bring up my guy, William. I remember, hey. <laughs> I remember mentioning at uh, the very first episode of the uh, Fuki Benta podcast that William tends to have... Like, I've watched William for seven years as a Chelsea... Uh, he was a very... Like... He wasn't really that good, but he, I have fond memories of him as a, a certain fond memories of William in his uh, Chelsea career. He was a very good servant for us, but he tends to have, okay, he tends to have spurts of games where he does well in uh, that one particular game, and then it, the subsequent four games, he's just non-existent, and then the game after that, he has one of the games of his life, that's how William is and that's that's kind of his ceiling as a, a football player. And so if we have if we were to put this into this if we put this trend onto this uh what what has happened since the start of the season, you know, William has a very good game at Fulham, he mm-hmm. has three assists, and then the games after Fulham like he hasn't really shown the exact same drive and class as, as he did. In the first game, but I think I, I'm just gonna say that uh, the upcoming he's match, have a, a yeah, he's gonna have a yeah, Leicester, he's gonna have a Leicester. ball of a game against Leicester. Yeah, it's kind of like my, do you do you think it's just because of the way William is, or do you spot a kind of weakness in that Leicester back line? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Leicester, they're not really doing too well right now. Like, so you choose out for pretty much a long period and they have to integrate a new centre back in that position and William's gonna if William plays on the right he's gonna be up against James Justin who I absolutely do not rate as a football player so isn't Castagna on the left? no no Castagna is playing on the right and Justin's playing on the left from what uh, I've seen so far and yeah I'm just gonna put it out there that William's going to have a great game this weekend. And then after that, like Arsenal fans are going to be on his nuts again. They're going to say that oh, Chelsea sold their best player <laughs> to us. And then he's going to tail off for the next four games. Yeah, so this is a trend that's going to happen and Arsenal fans have to brace themselves for it because I know that guy. <laughs> I, I know Mr. Frotster really. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like my Richarlison pre- prediction. I'm going to... If... If you're a betting man, I'm a, I don't know, maybe put like a $5 on William having a good game or Arsenal totally just destroying Leicester. Yeah, I know. Or just yeah. use one of your free transfers for him in FPL. <laughs> you know, hey, start small. Yeah, yeah w- why not go even further and like captain him? Triple captain. Yeah. <laughs> just a little quick plug on uh, Fraud Watch. So, Fraud Watch is. A segment on where we kind of put players that I have, you know, 
come into the Premier League with a huge price tag or a lot of hype and we kind of place them under the microscope because we actually think they are not all that in terms of, uh, you know, being a, a true baller of a player. So, like like what I said earlier, I'm going to put Davidson Sanchez into fraud watch because, yeah, he, he might be, you know, I, I might be a little bit too harsh on him, but from what I've seen so far, he hasn't impressed me. And, you know, having this 42 million price tag on his head doesn't really help at all. So, Davison Sanchez, or as I would like to say it, the budget Yeri Mina, you're in fraud watch. How is he the budget Yeri Mina? Like, Yeri Mina's the budget <laughs> Oh <Davidson> yes, Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, yeah, just just a shout-out to Harry Maguire, man. Like, you placed him in the gulags of fraud watch last week, and he kind of answered it with a goal. He scored a goal, like... <laughs> I mean, I, I, he's, he's still trash, man, but whatever, like... I mean, he scored a goal, Yeah, man. He, uh, uh, scoring a goal is way worse than, like, pulling down your own defender and conceding yeah, a goal. Cons- so conceding a that. penalty in your own box. Imagine I'll give that. him that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna nominate anyone for Fraud Watch. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wait, like... <laughs> San- I mean, I clearly have to watch more on Sanchez because I didn't think he was that bad until last weekend, but we'll see. Um, yeah, like I said, lot- we covered a lot of ground today. Um, got more Champions League action, but unfortunately, we don't really talk about Champions League unless it's super prevalent. But yeah, lots more Premier League action this weekend. Hopefully, no bullshit from VAR. Uh, hopefully, no more disgusting tackles and injuries, but... Yeah, always, uh, always a good time talking to my bro on uh, FKB, and um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week.